Now this is the third week of our series we're calling Battle Tested, and uh, I'm actually hearing that you're enjoying the series, which is kind of weird. I, this is not exactly the kind of series you know, that people enjoy, but I think it's because God is teaching us in this series that we can be free. We don't have to live our lives in bondage. The young lady you just saw sharing her story, opening up, her name's Cherish. You know, she was in bondage, but God set her free. Jesus Christ set her free. You know what? Now she works for Hope Community Church. How's that, How's that for a turnaround story? But that's what God can do in our lives when he sets us free. Now, last weekend, uh, we started talking about the fact that even as Christians, sometimes without even realizing it, we can open the door to the enemy in our lives and we said it's kind of like hearing a knock on the door and you go and you look through the peephole and there's three or four guys dressed in black, black ski masks with clubs and guns and knives and we see them and we know the danger but yet we kind of open the door and walk away. And we said, Mike, we would never do that but we, we, we talked about the fact we sometimes do that in our spiritual lives. We crack the door, we open it and Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 10 that we have an enemy who is constantly looking for a way to get in and if you crack the door, he will come in. And often when he comes in, if he's not dealt with, he can lead us into some kind of bondage. And we said, you know, if you've got a sin that you just, I mean, it's been going on for 10, 15, 20 years, and you feel horrible, and you confess it over and over again, and you tell God, I'll never do it again, and you keep doing it over and over and over again, it's a good chance that you may be in bondage in that area of your life. And some of the symptoms that that may be, there's kind of a resignation to this is just the way it's going to be. Or you feel trapped, or there's a sense, there's a sense of hopelessness. So we're talking about, in this part of the series, how we can shut those doors that keeps Satan from getting into our lives. And then the last couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about if he's already set up a stronghold there, how do we break it down and how do we get Satan out of our lives? So that's where we're gonna be going over the next few weeks. But we're basing this part of the series now about the open doors on a verse in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says this, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And if you were here last weekend, we looked at the pride of life, and I showed you three ways that pride can manifest itself in the life of a Christian. For example, when we trust in our own strength, we're prideful, and it opens a door to Satan. Uh, when we trust in our own um, uh, righteousness, in other words, we feel like we're righteous because of what we do, not because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we're, trusting, we're, we're prideful and, and, and it can open a door to Satan. When we trust in our own wisdom instead of trusting in the wisdom of God, we're prideful and it can open a door for Satan in our lives. Now this weekend, as I told you, we're gonna look at three ways that the lust of the eyes manifests itself in our life, ways that we open the door for Satan to have influence in our lives. I'm just gonna give you the first one. We'll unpack each one of them as we did last weekend. The lust of the eyes leads to greed, which opens a door for Satan. And we have to start this one, you know, we have to start by talking about greed. I mean, we're talking about lust of the eyes. How can you talk about lust of the eyes without talking about greed? See, I see it, I gotta have it. My neighbor has it, I have to have it. And you just become obsessed with this till you get it. It's, it's, it's greed. Now, if you have your Bible this weekend, I want you to turn with me, we'll make it very easy. Genesis, first book in the Bible, you can't go wrong. Genesis chapter three, let's begin reading. Verse one, very familiar passage. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now notice this, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. God never said you can't touch it. He said, just don't eat it. 
you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Now, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. I am going to be talking about the biblical principle of tithing this weekend. And I've always said the Bible teaches tithing. I've said it for 23 years. No one's really argues with me about it. Some people say, Mike, you know, it's a law thing. It's an Old Testament thing. I, I don't think it's a law thing. I don't think it's an Old Testament thing. I think it's a biblical principle. This weekend, I'm going to put my neck out, and I'm going to tell you why I believe the Bible teaches this, and I'm going to show you how it relates to this whole topic of spiritual warfare. And some of you, some of you are going to leave this weekend, and because what you're going to learn from God's Word you're going to find freedom. You're going to walk out of here thinking God is brilliant. He created us. He knew our weaknesses. He knew the traps that we could fall in. And he put some principles in place that if we will obey, it will keep us out of those traps. And not only will, you're going to see, not only will tithing break the stronghold of greed in your life, it will break the stronghold of unbelief in your life. And it will also has the potential to break the stronghold of the fear of the future in your life. And it amazes me how many people don't believe that the Bible teaches us the tithe. And I realize that what I'm going to say over the next few minutes, a lot of you still are going to walk away this weekend saying, I just don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. But I want you to understand, that is just a lie that Satan has been using since the beginning of time. I mean, look what he said to Eve. Did God really say does the Bible really teach that? So, in fact, let me show you how he uses the lie. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now, if you remember back to the very first week of our series, we said that Satan's strategy is for our minds. He wants us to question God. He wants us to question God's principle. For example, when the subject of top, uh, tithing comes up, people will ask, is it, is, it really part, is it really for today? Is that really what the Bible teaches? you got to understand that it's part of Satan's strategy. It's like, it's like the salesman who wants to keep you talking. I mean, have you been to the mall lately? You ever walk down the mall and you pass those kiosks and they're the, the young adults, they're usually from Israel because they're selling profits from the Dead Sea, you know, the lotions, the scrubs, the stuff that make you look beautiful and they try to give you the free sample. You don't make eye contact with them, do you? Because you know if you take one, they got you, right? So what do you do? You know what they do now? If you don't take it, they'll say this. May I ask you a question? I'm like, no, don't ask me a question because I will fold and I will end up buying something. You just keep going. What are they trying to do? They want to keep you talking. They just want to get their foot in the door. That's exactly what Satan does to Eve. Hey, listen, I know that's what God said, but can we at least talk about it? So Eve looks at the tree. She likes what she sees. Satan says, let's discuss it. Did God really say? By the way, a lot of people believe that this is the only tree that was pleasant to the eyes. That's not true. Let me show you a verse, Genesis 2, verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were, look at that, pleasing to the eye and good for food. So it's not like this was the only attractive tree in the garden. There were all kinds of trees there. By the way, this Hebrew word for pleasing sometimes is translated in the Bible, lust. Sometimes it's translated greed. Sometimes it's translated desire. So what it's saying here is that Eve saw the tree and she desired the tree. She lusted for that tree. She began to believe that there were other ways that, that something other than just obedience to God that could make you happy. 
So she began to think, what am I missing? Why is God holding out on me? There's something that tells me I gotta have that, right? That's greed. And some of you, you're already putting up the wall thinking, Mike, come on, seriously. What does tithing have to do with spiritual warfare? What does tithing have to do with going into bondage? Well, let me put it this way. If you close every other door in your life, say you close the door to the occult, okay? You, you quit trying to talk to your dead great aunt. You stop going to seances. You no longer get your fortune told. You know, you get rid of your Ouija board. Don't sell it in a yard sale. Burn it, okay? You shut the door to the occult in your life. You deal with pride in your life. You deal with these issues that we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks. You decide you're not gonna hold on to anger. You decide that you're gonna finally forgive the people who have hurt you. I'm telling you, if you close every other door in your life, but you leave this one open, greed, you are leaving yourself open to the enemy. Now, I'm just gonna show it to you, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just gonna show it to you. You're gonna have to decide what you want to do with it. By the way, I just wanna tell you something. As far as I know, based on facts, the only people I actually know for a fact tied to Hope Community Church is Mike and Laura Lee. And it's because I know what I make and I know what I give. So I know that I tithe. Now, let me just kid. A lot of people tithe here, I think. A lot of people give generously to see only you know what you make and only you know what you give. So understand, this isn't between me and you. We're gonna be fine when this is all said and done. This is something that you're going to have to work out with God. And it's not gonna change my life either way. I'm not gonna make more money if you tithe. I don't get a big end of the year bonus if you tithe. So this is really between you and God, but this is what I want you to understand. This is a biblical principle that can transform your life. But back to the story, this is what you have to understand. When Adam and Eve took from the tree and they ate it, they took what belonged to God. God said, you can have everything in this garden. I created it all for you. You can have everything except that one. And that's the one they wanted. And that's the one they took. So here's the question. Why would God do that? Why would God even put them in that situation? Was God setting them up to fail? Well, according to the Bible, God does it to test us so that he can bless us. And it's because, see, God will bless us when we live by faith. God will bless us when we live obedient lives. In other words, when God tells us to do something in his word and we do it, we are blessed. We saw this all through the series of Abraham. God would test Abraham, and if he passed the test, God would bless Abraham. And then a few chapters later, God would test Abraham, and if he passed the test, God would bless Abraham. So God tests us to bless us. Now, if you're new to church, let me just say this. The word is tithe. It's not tithe. Okay, my dad used to think that's what it was. It's tithe. It means one-tenth. And the word ten represents a test all the way through the Bible. In fact, I'll give you a test. How many plagues were there? In other words, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? How many? Okay, 10. The answer is 10. We can do a little better than that. Let's see, give you an easy one. How many commandments are there? Okay. How many times did God test Israel when they wandered in the wilderness? Oh. <laughs> Guys, there's a pattern here. Okay? There's a pattern here. Right, let's try that one more time. Just get some confidence. Go where no one boldly has ever gone before. How many times did God test Israel when they wandered in the wilderness? Yeah. How many days was Daniel tested? Yeah. How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many lepers were tested in Luke 17? Yeah, Jesus healed 10, only one returned. How many days of testing are mentioned in the book of Revelation? Oh my God. 
How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation? How many disciples were there? No, 12, that was just a test. My, my point is this, my point is this, my point is this. You guys are like sheep, I'm telling you. That's probably the only time you're gonna laugh tonight, uh, this weekend, so okay. It represents the test, so when it comes to the topic of tithing, let me tell you, all God is doing is testing us. Hey people, he doesn't need our money. He's doing it to test us. Every time, think about this, every time we get paid, we take a test. Whom are we going to thank? Whom are we going to honor? And the Bible teaches that 90% with God's blessing will go farther than 100% with just our own effort. That's the test. Do we believe God enough to tithe? Take that 10% right off the top and bring it to God. Are we gonna live our lives by faith? Or are we gonna believe the enemy's lie? So the test for Adam and Eve was very simple. Are you gonna believe Satan? Or are you gonna believe God? And they failed the test miserably. They believed Satan. And then it's interesting, a few chapters later, one of their kids does the same thing. In fact, before I show you that, let me show you how God represents the tithe through the principle of the firstborn and the first fruit. Let me just give you a couple of verses. Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. Consecrate, which just means set apart. Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites, belongs to me, whether human or animal. So God is establishing a principle. Now, now keep that thought in the back of your mind. God also says in Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, that was for Israel, that's the law. Just hang on to that. But did you notice that it says, bring it? It doesn't say, you give it. It's interesting, read the Bible. When God talks about the tithe, he never uses the word give. He always uses the word bring. And it's because you cannot give what doesn't belong to you. In fact, according to the Bible, there's really only two things you can do with the tithe. You can bring it to God or you can steal it from God. Those are your only two options. See, that's why it's really not your option to say, you know, I'm going to get 3% here and 3% here and 4% over here. It isn't yours to give away. You bring, you return the tithe. I'll give you an example. Often when I travel, my youngest son, Adam, instead of me going Ubering or leaving my car at the airport, I'll say, hey, if you'll take me to the airport, you can keep my truck if you'll pick me up when I get back in a couple of days. It would be like Adam picking me up, taking me home, getting in my driveway and him saying, you know, Dad, Meredith and I have really been praying about it. We decided we're gonna give you this truck. I said, well, you're an idiot. It's not yours to give, right? You're, you're, you're gonna return my truck. In the same way, when we say, God, I'm giving you my tithe, God says, no, you're not. You're not giving it to me, you're returning it to me. So the first fruits were to be returned to God. They represented the tithe. But I want you to see how this principle began 2,500 years before God ever established the law with Israel. After Adam and Eve took what belonged to God, I want you to notice what Cain does in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. In the course of time, look at this, Cain brought, look at this, some of the fruits. Doesn't say first fruits, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, look at this, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now look at this, if you do what is right, 
will you not be accepted? Now, if you don't think this is a spiritual warfare issue, if you do not do what is right, look at this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Literally, it says in the Hebrew, it desires to rule over you. In other words, it desires to take you in bondage. But you must rule over it. I'm telling you, in the same way when it comes to greed, Satan wants to rule over you. Satan wants to take you into bondage. According to this verse, he is right at the door of your life. And one of the ways he does it is by convincing you to take what belongs to God. You see something, you want it. You want a house, you want a car, you want a barbecue grill, you want a boat, you want season tickets to the Panthers or the Hurricanes. Let me just tell you, nothing wrong with any of those things, and if you have those things, God bless you, I hope you enjoy them. Unless, nothing wrong with it, you're taking what belongs to God and you're spending it on those things. That's where the problem comes. Here's the biblical principle. God says, I own it all. And I'm gonna give you what I think you should need. I'm gonna give it out as I see fit. And when I do, I expect you to take the first 10% and give it back to me. It's gonna communicate to me that you trust me, that you have faith in me. And here's the other good news God says, I'm gonna let you keep the other 90%, which is also mine, and you can do with it whatever you want. That's the biblical principle. Now I am gonna tell you, Laura and I, we tithe. And we tithe the Hope Community Church. We bring it, it's God's. And then if we wanna support Young Life or Campus Crusade or a missionary or some other organization, we give on top of that, but we bring the tithe. That's one of the things that God established for us, a biblical principle that can break the grip of greed in our life and shut that door for Satan to get a foot in the door. Second, the lust of the eyes leads to unbelief, which opens a door for Satan. Now let me just say this. There are more promises connected in the Bible to giving and trusting God with your finances and tithing than anything else. Jesus talked more about this topic than anything else when he was on this earth. So here's my question. Why would so many of us decide not to tithe when the Bible so often talks about this principle? I'll tell you why. It's because we choose to believe that it's not what the Bible teaches, that it's not for the day. We're like Satan, did, did, did God really say that? See? Now let me just say this. If you believe that, you're not a bad person at all. But you're just, you're uninformed. Let's just put it that way. It's the age-old argument. Tithing was a law thing. We're no longer under the law. Or sometimes people will say, the word tithe's not even in the New Testament. Well, the word tithe is actually in the New Testament eight times. And one of them is in red, which means Jesus said it, right? Let me show you. Matthew 23, 23, woe to you teachers of the laws and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth. If you have a New American Standard, it says you give a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should practice the latter. In other words, you should practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former, without neglecting the tithe. It's not, it's not an either or, it's both. By the way, I said that the word tithe appears eight times in the New Testament. Did you know that the word still only appears 11 times in the New Testament. Three of those are gospel repeats, so it really only appears eight times. Does that mean because it only is mentioned eight times in the New Testament that it's okay to steal? The word adultery only appears 20 times in the New Testament. Five of those are gospel repeats, so it's really only mentioned 15 times. Since it's only mentioned 15 times, can it really be that important? Is it okay to commit adultery? 
Did you know that the virgin birth is only mentioned twice in the Bible? Once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament. So do we just ignore the virgin birth? But see, that's the kind of unbelief that Satan puts in our hearts. And I point this out because people believe that the tithe was a law thing. Other people believe that it went back 430 years earlier to the life of Abraham, and we actually saw that come up in our series on Abraham. But you gotta understand, it actually started 2,500 years before the law because you can trace it back to Cain and Abel, and it continues all the way through. And some of you are starting to get upset. You may have some bondage in your life. But you're like, Mike, quit confusing me with the facts. You know, because I've always been told it's a law thing. But this is what you're starting to think about because you're getting worried. What are the consequences of not doing this? See, that's what we want to know. If I still choose not to do this, what are the consequences? Well, let me just show you a couple of examples. The first one's with the people of Israel, okay? Remember, they were 40 years wandering in the desert. They finally got to the promised land. They didn't screw up this time. They went in. God says, okay, you got to run out the guys. You got to run out these enemies. Got to clear out the land. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to go with you. And the first city they come up against is Jericho. Remember, Josh fit the battle of Jericho. That one with the big wall. And God says, I'm going to give it to you. You march around that wall. And they marched around the wall and it collapsed. This is what God said. When you go into the city, have at it. The fruit of the trees, it's all yours. You enjoy it, except make sure that you take the silver, the gold, the articles of bronze, they're for me. God says, you set them aside for me. So they went in, they marched around the city, the walls collapsed, they went in, they slew the city of Jericho, they took the victory, but some of them took the things that belonged to God, the silver, the gold, the articles of bronze. They thought it was a secret. Well, they went to the next city, the city of Ai. They thought, man, this is a piece of cake. God's going before us. They got their butts kicked in Ai. And they're like, what happened? I thought God was gonna fight our battles for us. This is what God says in Joshua chapter seven, verse 11. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things, the silver, the gold, the articles of bronze. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. In other words, they kept what belonged to God. That is why, look at this, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their back and run because they have been made liable to destruction. In other words, they've opened the door. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. My point is simply this, God was angry. There's some righteous indignation here. And he was angry because some of the people took what belonged to him, but this is really what God is saying in this passage. I really want to bless you, don't you? This is, I want to bless you, but you stole from me. You took what was mine. I'm telling you in the same way, this is what God wants to say, and he says it all through the scripture. I really want to bless you, but I can't bless a thief. See, Let me tell you something. We are most like God when we give. We are most like Satan when we steal. God, give. Both begin with G. Satan, still. For all the rest of you PA majors out there, it's easy to remember that way, right? There's another familiar passage about this. This is so much fun. Malachi, chat, just watching you squirm. It's like you're waiting to go in to see the doctor, right? Malachi 3, 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. By the word, this, this Hebrew word for decrees, other places in the Old Testament is translated ordinances. It means this, ordinary principle. In other words, it is an ordinary principle. It is just common sense for God's people to return the tithe to him. Malachi 3, 7, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decree, my ordinary principles, and have not kept them. Return to me 
And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are, you, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I dare you. I dare you to try me on this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields and will not, the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. This is what God's saying. Trust me, trust me, and I'll have your back. And then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. By the way, do you notice that God used the word robbed? You robbed me? When we lived in Southern California, uh, we were really into snow skiing. And we had the skis, the boots, and all the clothes and stuff. And I kept it in the garage. And one time someone called me, friends, and they said, hey, we're going snow skiing. Can we borrow your equipment instead of winning equipment? I said, yeah, take whatever you can use. And so they came over and I went in the garage. Everything was gone. Gone. And it's that sick feeling you get when you realize somebody stole your stuff. Somebody had gotten my garage and stole all of my skis and some other things, power tools and stuff. And so I called my insurance company. I said, homeowners cover this? They said, yeah, but you got to file a police report. So the policeman comes over, and I'm talking to him in the, in the driveway. And uh, he says, now, Mr. Lee, were you home when this happened? I'm like, I don't know. Probably not, or I would have stopped it, right? And I said, what difference does it make? He says, well, listen, if you weren't home, they were stealing from you. It's theft. If you were home, even if you were asleep, they were robbing you. Now, let me tell you why I think this is important. God is in the house. We're the temple of God. And when we take what's his and we spend it on ourselves, we're robbing God. Now, let me tell you how the story ended. I had a teenage boy that lived next door who saw the police at my house and realized what was going on. He came over with all my stuff and said, I am so sorry. The good news, he started going to church with us and became a Christian. So all things work together for good, right? And I got my skis back. But anyway, God says this. This is what God was saying to the people of Israel. You robbed me, and you bought a curse on yourself, and I don't want to curse you. In fact, I want to bless you. I want to defeat the enemy on your behalf. But you're going to have to trust me in order for me to do that. Now, let me just make something very clear. I'm not saying you're going to get rich if you tithe. I think that is heresy. And any church that teaches that, I'll just call it out. It's wrong. I'm not even saying your life is going to be perfect if you tithe. Laura and I have, have, we've tithed our whole lives. I'm telling you, our lives have been far from perfect. But I tell you this, God will protect you. But sometimes he can't protect you from yourself. You know, God can't fix stupid. I mean, if you're just stupid, do stupid things. I told you about the time I had to clean my garage, so I backed Laura's car out and I hopped in my truck because I was in a hurry, boom, right into Laura's car. Like $3,000 worth of damage. God can't fix stupid, right? But I don't have time to tell you of all the stories of the times that God has protected us financially, I'll give you one brief one. 36 years ago when I got into ministry, I was part of a, a religious organization, a, a denomination that was very big into the separation of church versus state. So for me to be ordained and licensed by them, I had to, I had to opt out of Social Security, which means when I retire, I won't get Social Security. And it's the decision I made. We probably wouldn't make it later on in life, but I was young then. That's what they told me. I just did it. So, so I opted out. Now, I grew up in the same house my whole life. 900 square feet, six of us, one bathroom. We did just fine. Lars' family grew up different. 
they would buy a house, they would make some equity, they would take that equity and they would stretch themselves and they would buy another house. And they would make some equity and then they would stretch themselves. And so Laura and I, we've lived, I guess, in 10 or 11 houses in the 39 years because Laura brought that to us. And so we'll make some money and then we'll sell it and then we'll get a bigger house and we'll stretch ourselves. And there were times when we slept on the floor and slept on mattresses because that's what we could afford. But that's what we've done. And I gotta tell you, because of that, I'll get to retire one of these days. But my point is this. I look back over our lives at times we thought about buying houses in certain neighborhoods, certain places, and sometimes just through super weird circumstances, sometimes just because we didn't have a piece about it, we didn't buy those houses. And then later on, when we saw what a horrible investment it would have been, see, and we realized God was protecting us. I'm just saying, I'm just saying there's a benefit of being under God's umbrella of protection. There's something about knowing that I'm putting God first and that he's got my back. It's something about that umbrella of protection. But see, sometimes we step out from under it because Satan gets us to believe the lie that God's ordinary principle isn't for today. See, there's a stronghold of unbelief in your life. Here's the third one. Lust of the eyes leads to fear, which opens a door for Satan. Let me show you something. Jesus, uh, Judas is getting ready to betray Jesus. This is what it says in Luke 22, verse 3. Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the 12, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers and the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him the money. See, now, there was an open door in Judas's life, and I don't think it was greed. I think it was fear. And let me show you why I say that. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. You know this story. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance, fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objective. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's Wages. Now notice this, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas was a thief, he used to, it's funny, among the disciples, they trusted him the most. That's how he came across. Hey, let's let Judas take care of the money. We can trust Judas. Judas was a thief, he was stealing from the offering bag. Let me just say this. We don't take offerings here. We don't pass offering bags. We don't pass offering plates. We have things out in the atrium at all of our campuses. If you want to give, you give. If you want to give online, you give, right? I don't think any of you would steal money out of the offering boxes in our atrium. I think you would be like, whoa, whoa. You know, that belongs to God. Let me ask the question a different way. Since the money in the offering box belongs to God, I'm just asking you, don't shoot the messenger. When we don't return the money, that belongs to God. Is that the same as if we stole it? And like Judas, are we giving Satan an opportunity to have a foothold in our life? See, that's what happened to Judas. And I think Judas did it not out of greed, I think he did it because of fear. I think he finally realized that this wasn't going as planned, that Jesus wasn't gonna overthrow Rome, Jesus wasn't gonna set up a kingdom, he wasn't gonna have a significant place in his cabinet. And he's thinking, man, I've walked away from everything. I know what now. And this fear of the future seized him. 
So Judas decided to cut his losses and betray Jesus. Now let me just say this. In a lot, the very same way, a lot of you, you don't tithe because of the fear of the future. I'm telling you, it's an open door. But what if, what if, what if I lose my job? What if we get pregnant unexpectedly? What if the stock market crashes? What if there's some unexpected expense down the road that, that, I, that, I, that may or may not happen? I want you to look what it says in Luke, Matthew 26, verse 15. Judas says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. By the way, do you know why that's significant, 30 pieces of silver? I'll show you a verse, Exodus 31, verse, 21, verse 32. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels, pieces, shekels of silver to the master of the slave. In other words, 30 pieces of silver, 30 shekels, was the price of a slave. In this series, we're talking about Christians being in bondage. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus, Judas sold him out. There's an old poem that goes, as in days of old, man still has his price. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas sold himself, not Christ. He went right into bondage. Now let me just wrap this up. Let me ask you a question. Or let me just say this. When you choose not to, as a Christian, when you choose not to return to God what belongs to God, I'm just telling you, you've become a slave to greed. And if you're hiding behind biblical verses, loopholes, you've become a slave to unbelief. You may have become a slave to the fear of the future. You may very well be in bondage. Now let me just say this, if you don't know me, you're probably thinking, he's just saying this because he, he wants the offerings to go up, right? That could not be further from the truth. I am simply telling you this because I love you, I care for you, and I don't want Satan to have an open door in your life. God owns it all. He gives to each of us as he sees fit. And then he gives us a test every time we get paid. Doesn't matter if you're a millionaire, doesn't matter if you're a blue collar worker, doesn't matter if you're on welfare, social security, or you're on fixed income in retirement. He gives you a test every time you get that check. So here's the question, is greed or unbelief or fear of the future preventing you from passing the test? Now this is, this is what I wanna leave you with. I have watched hundreds, maybe thousands of people close this door to Satan in this area of their life and their whole life has changed. See, I don't think this is just a financial principle. I think it has to do with your marriage. I think it has to do with your children. I think it has to do with your health. I think God's like, I just want to bless your life. I want you to live a blessed life. But we got to shut this door. Don't leave the door open. Let's bow our heads together. Do you have a fear of the future? Do you fear that if you give to God first that you won't have enough? Is that maybe the reason you don't tithe? Is it unbelief? Has Satan lied to you and talked you into believing that you don't need to do this, that it's, that it's not for today? You know. Has he talked you into believing that you can't really trust God in this area of your life? Is it greed? Could be greed. That's, that's tough for most of us to admit that it's greed. 
I mean, we, in my mind, we just want nicer things, right? We just want more and, and nothing wrong with that. That's certainly okay. But you got to understand, for a Christian, those nicer things come from God's blessing, not from us robbing God. So this would be my challenge to you this weekend. God said, test me. I challenge you, put him to the test. This is an area of your life, if you're not doing it, I'm, you know what? You don't need to just start doing it. You need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry I haven't done it. But now, now I understand. But close this door in your life once and for all. Let me pray. God, I pray that you will break this stronghold in people's lives who have struggled in this area maybe for years, maybe their entire life, and that you'll close this door in the name of Jesus.